Good morning. My name is Steve Welsh, one of the elders serving here at Redeemer, and I have the privilege of uh, reading the Word of God this morning, which uh, Dan is going to preach on, continuing the series on how to pray and uh, using the uh, Lord's Prayer as an example. Uh, we're going to um, start in Matthew chapter 4 uh, this morning, uh, verse 17. Uh, that is found, uh, was it page, I think, 1028 uh, there in the, uh, the Bibles in the chairs. And then we'll uh, read on later in chapter 4, and then in chapter 6 we'll flip down. So if you would, out of honor of the Word of God and as our tradition here at Redeemer, please stand as I read again, first beginning in chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we'll flip down to um, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Samaria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Now let's uh, flip to uh, chapter 6. And in chapter 6, uh, uh, I'm going to read verses uh, 9 through uh, 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of God for the people of God, you may be seated. Um, like James, I didn't introduce myself, I'm Dan. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. Uh, I'd love to after the service. Um, it's good to be together. I, I want to just touch on one thing. Matt mentioned the communicant class for students who want to learn more about what it means to know and follow Jesus and be connected to his church. Um, there are students in that all the way ranging through high school. Um, you can still show up, come today. That's great. If you're a sixth grader under, we do suggest it's helpful to have a parent there just so you can process the information together. Uh, you know, 7th, 8th grade, high school, you don't need your parent there. Um, even if they want to tag along, you can say, you really don't have to, Mom. I can do this by myself. Um, so we're going to do that this afternoon. Uh, Tuesday night from 7 to 8 in room 8, which is kind of the main room back in the middle of the building, some members of the building committee are going to be there. Uh, they'll be able to answer any questions that you have. If you still haven't had an opportunity to get some of those answered, uh, the plans will be out, the finishes will be out, they'll be able to talk to you about costs and financing and all the details, why things were decided as they were. So please feel free to take advantage of that, drop in as you're able. Uh, and then Sunday morning we'll have a vote, uh, but first we'll again, we'll kind of talk about why we're doing this, review the costs, the financing, look at our budget for this year, to show you how all those things are coming together, and then we'll proceed to vote. And it's well, it, it seems momentous. It's really been something that's been coming together for two and a half, three years as we've looked at these things, as people have planned and poured into it. And it's really just the start because after this, then construction will begin and things will begin to 
to move and get messy around here. We're already starting to feel some of the um, cramped space during our meetings during the week. But it is a significant time and exciting. Um, hope you can be there tomorrow or tomorrow, Sunday at 10 a.m. We are studying the Lord's Prayer. We're asking Jesus to teach us how to pray. And over the last couple of weeks, as I've been reflecting particularly about these two petitions, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's been incredibly freeing and incredibly convicting and challenging. My hope is that that'll be true for you this morning too. Let's pray. Father, help us as we seek to learn how to pray. And not only as we learn how to pray, it's going to teach us how to live. So help us to better understand these familiar phrases and what they demand and expect of us. And how you, in your love, are are equipping us, enabling us to live this life for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So last night, as we were sitting down at the dinner table, uh, Debbie said to me, um, so did you notice anything new? Internal panic kind of hits, like, what did I have noticed? Did she get her haircut? No, she didn't have her haircut today. And then I just had to go, I don't know. So then, you know, my radar's on. I'm trying to figure out what's new. And I eventually found it that in the hallway upstairs, she had hung some pictures and another um, a frame thing that she had given me for, I think, my birthday and, or Father's Day or something. But um, I saw it. I had walked past it a couple times already in that day. And that happens, doesn't it? Like you're so familiar with something, you just kind of miss things. You're just kind of used to it. It's just there. And I had to be told, hey, look, pay attention and look for it. And I think that's a little bit with particularly these two prayer requests, these two petitions. I mean, what does it really mean when we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done? What are we praying? What does it mean that God is a kingdom? What is he trying to, to establish? And what does that look like? What's his plan? What's his purpose for that? And how does that even relate to me? And when we say God's will, what do we mean? The Bible talks about his will in different ways. Sometimes it's his will that he always accomplishes, accomplishes, and then others it's saying to seek his will, and we want to know his will. And What does that even mean? How do we do that? And then if we think we even have a bit of a grasp on that, we begin to say, but, but if God is all holy and powerful, why does he need me to ask him to actually make his kingdom come? Can't he do that by himself? Or you might even be saying, I see what's going on around me, and I don't see God's kingdom being established. In my own life, I'm experiencing the devastation of disease, the brokenness of being sinned against or sinning against someone. I look out and I see and watch the news and see death and destruction and war and alienation. I don't see his kingdom come, and I've been praying this for a long time. So you can see how that which is familiar, we may not understand it, we may be discouraged, don't think it's happening, what is really going on when we make this request? Why is Jesus telling us this is how you should pray? See, the first three petitions really all have to do with God. And I don't know about you, but usually for most of my life, and still even today, most of my petitions have to deal with me. God, I'm in trouble. God, I'm tired. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm weak. God, I'm angry. God, help me. Provide for me. Take care of me. Or those I love or this church. Like It's always kind of about 
me and what I want to take place. And yet, Jesus says, I want you to begin, and I want you to pray for God's glory, and I want you to pray for God's rule and reign, and I want you to pray for God's will. Then you can pray for yourself. One of the things I've been convicted of this week is the fact that so often my prayers are about me and what I want and about my kingdom and my will and my rule. I mean, I don't say it this way because I'd be able to catch it, but I often wake up and think, oh yeah, today my will be done. You know, I want my family, I want my staff, I want my church, I want everybody to do my will and my time and my way. And yes, I realize how selfish and arrogant that sounds, right? We all would. But that's what, at least what I want. Do you feel that at times? And so what we're doing is God is actually orienting us, and Jesus is reminding us as we pray, wait, you were made by him and for him, and so you need to be praying for the kingdom of your Father. And you need to begin there. Because when we seek first God's kingdom, all the other things begin to put themselves in the right place. And So that's one of the ways I've been convicted this week. That I so often want my way. So first, I, I just want us to talk a little bit before we actually get to how do we pray this and what does it mean for us. We need to think a little bit about this idea of kingdom. It's foreign to us. I mean, we threw off a king very early in our history, right? We, no taxation without representation. We don't want a king. But here's the thing. The universe has been a monarchy since its inception. It's never been a democracy. It's never been a republic. God, the king of the universe, spoke and created and brought everything into being. And he made us to be his subjects, his vice regents to rule this world. But it's his world and he's the king. And you see him acting as a king throughout the Old Testament scriptures. He protects his people. He provides for his people. He loves and watches over his people. But his people were finicky and at one point, if you remember the story, they said, hey, we want a king like everybody else. And essentially they were saying, God, we're tired of you being king. We want a king that we can see, that we can touch, that we can listen to, who's going to rule like everyone else. So he gave them the king that they asked for, King Saul. And Saul was a big, strong-looking man. But inwardly he was weak. And so as he ruled, he started off okay, but over time, because of a weak inner moral compass and lack of connection with God, his creator, as he was trying to build and keep his kingdom, his kingdom crumbled around him, and the people of God suffered as well. And so God raised up King David, whom you may be more familiar with, a man after God's own heart, a man who would rule the people of God and extend the geography of God's people, and yet he's still a man a murderer and an adulterer, a man who got lost in some ways and after having built God's kingdom, kind of establishing his own. But God made a promise to him. And he said, I'm going to put on your throne a king who will rule forever. A perfect, wise, powerful, and holy God. And so the people of God 
held on to that promise of longing for that type of king. David's son Solomon reigned afterwards, and Solomon also, at times, incredibly wise, but also became incredibly foolish and disregarded the way God had orchestrated and told us how life should be. And see, as the kings went, so went the people. As the kings followed God, things went well for the people, and as they abandoned God, the people of God suffered as well because they would often follow his reaction and they would drift from him. They would begin to worship other gods and trust in other things and not trust in God, their creator, their king. And so you see this cycle of, of kind of rise and fall based on the kings, ultimately where God in his love to correct his people said, I'm going to send a foreign king and they're going to come in and they're just going to raise everything to the ground and we're going to start over. I'm going to send you away for a while to see that you need me and then I'm going to bring you back so that I can recapture your heart and you can trust me as king. And they did that and yet there was still this misunderstanding, I think, of the kingdom of God and what God was trying to do. So there was this 400 years of silence and the people were longing to be freed from Roman oppression. And God fulfilled his promise and sent that promised king through the line of David when Christ was born in the royal city of Bethlehem. Where he was born and announced as the king of glory who was coming to rescue his people. And yet, the battle that had been waged really from the beginning between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, as St. Augustine said, had been waging all along. And it still was going on as King Herod, part of the kingdom of man, sought to kill King Jesus when he was just a little boy. And so he sent the soldiers to find and kill everyone under two years of age. He was trying to dethrone the kingdom of God, to destroy the kingdom by killing the king. See, there's no kingdom without a king, and now the king has come. And then in Matthew 4, Satan tries to tempt Jesus by bribing him and saying, look, I'll give you a kingdom that you can have without suffering. And yet, throughout that temptation, Jesus took the Word of God, which had saturated his soul, and he used it to fight the deceptions and the lies and say, no, I'm not going to to take the shortcut. I'm going to trust God and do what he commands me to do. I'm going to do God's will no matter the cost. And so he didn't accept that false kingdom from man. He was working for the kingdom of God. In fact, his food was to do the very will of God, to obey him. And so right after that, we then come to that section that was read for us this morning where Jesus began his public ministry of preaching and teaching. And it says, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's saying, turn around, come back because this kingdom is at hand because I, the king, am here. And then it goes on and it says, that he went through all of Galilee and all the synagogues proclaiming, it's a fascinating phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the gospel is just a short-term a phrase that means good news. It's a shorthand for this proclamation of the heart of Christianity. So often we think Christianity is a rule of suggestions, a set of rules to follow. That's not at its core. At its core, it is a proclamation that Jesus the King came, that he lived a sinless life, the one that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve because of our rebellion against God, but he couldn't be held down because he was innocent. And so the God-man was raised from the tomb after three days, and then 
as if coronated, put in heaven, ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of God as king ruling over the universe. That is the good news, that the king has come and he established his kingdom. But this kingdom isn't a geographic kingdom. And that's what confused a lot of people as Jesus was teaching. Because what they wanted was for the Messiah, the promised king, to come in and remove the oppression of the Romans. They wanted political freedom. They wanted prosperity. They wanted peace. They wanted self-rule. And there was confusion between God's kingdom and what they wanted. And that confusion, I think, continues today about what we think God promises us and what we want out of Him. We want a kingdom, we want a life that has prosperity and peace and self-rule. And you see that in its strong aberration in the prosperity gospel where people say, just believe and you can have whatever you want. But it creeps even into, I think, Bible teaching churches that say, no, that, that's an error, but we think if we love God enough and read the Bible enough and go to church enough and serve enough that we shouldn't suffer, struggle, or have to sacrifice. And yet, Christ the King went to the cross for Him to pray, Your will be done, meant that He literally would have to die. And so when we believe that God owes us something, we destroy the very thing that we're here read in the Scriptures is that we are saved by grace. So as we think about kingdom, it needs a king. That king is Jesus who has come to rescue his people. And so as he is inviting us to orient our prayer life and our life, we need to pray for the kingdom of our Father. So what does that look like? What does that even mean for us? Um, you know, I, I think, again, we're so prone to think it means an easy, successful career, life, family. And I've mentioned this situation many just because of my own personal connection, but Pastor Wang Yi was arrested last December for preaching the gospel, being accused of subverting the nation of China. He's arrested for giving out booklets of his sermons. He's been imprisoned this last Christmas. He was sentenced to nine years. And he has said he is not going to appeal the ruling. Because as he's thinking about the kingdom of God coming, the kingdom of God for him is more important than he be with his wife and his young child. It's more important than he, than his desire to be with his church. He is willing to suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God above all things. That's why I say this sermon was so convicting this week. Where do I keep putting the kingdom of Dan above the kingdom of God? even when I make it look and sound good. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of the things I want, I believe, are the things that God wants. What I want is not always in contrast. What you want is not always opposite of it. But the question is, where are those places that what you want really is not what God has said is good and true for you? So what that teaches us 
when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we must kneel in submission to the king. We must kneel in submission to the king. If the king has come, we must do as the king says. And so the first thing we must do is to resist and to reject our will. That when I wake up, I don't wake up and say, my will be done today. But I really say, God, your will be done. You are the king. You make the rules. I want to play by your rules for your kingdom. I've shared this before, but we played Candyland with our kids. Any of you remember Candyland? It's a rough game to play, I'm just telling you. But we would play the game, and you know there are these fun little cards that would maybe take you all the way to the top, which were amazing when you were starting. But all of a sudden, when you got that card, you're almost near the finish line, you're about to win, and it takes you back to the molasses swamp. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, you know, you don't go backwards when you play those cards. You only go forward. That's often what my kids would say. You know, I at least had enough most regulation to not change the rules while we were playing, usually. Um, but they would want to change the rules. How often do I want to change God's rules because I don't like where they're taking me? God, I don't want to go back. God, I don't want to jump forward. God, I, I want to be right here. I, want, I have what my plan and my life should be right now. I know what I desire. And so part of praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, is rejecting where our will is in contrast to God's clear will for us. Now, that brings up that question. What do we mean by God's will? Deuteronomy 29.29 helps us. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but He has given us His revealed will. He's given us these things. So there's two distinctions. You could say there's the secret will of God or the the decreed will of God. You see that in passages like Ephesians 1 when it says, through the counsel of God's will, all things have been done. And so that's where God in His wisdom from eternity past has said, okay, I'm in control and, and this is what I decree is going to happen. But then there's this other will, the revealed will. We often want to know the secret will of God. Like, what do you want me to do? Who am I going to marry? What job should I take? He doesn't reveal those things to us, but He's given us His Word. He's revealed himself to us through his word. Even as we look at his law and the Ten Commandments, behind those commandments are the very character of God. Don't lie because God is a God of truth. Don't steal because God is a God of generosity who provides. See, behind all this, we see the very character of God. So not only must we reject our will, and really the only way we will ever reject our will is if we believe God's will is better. Right? I mean, you're not really, it's not hard to follow God when you're in agreement with him. I mean, it's like going, you know, with your kids and say, hey, y'all want a milkshake? They're like, yeah. I guess I'll go along with that. That's not hard. Hey, let's do chores around the house. Oh, that's great. What kid ever said that? Or parent, really. So following his will when it's convenient or in agreement with you is not what he's asking. We will only follow God's will when we know and believe and can trust that it's better than ours. So what that means is we need to know God's will. David has a beautiful reflection on the law of God, the revealed will of God, the commands of God in Psalm 119. He just writes po poem after poem trying to think about how beautiful it is. He compares it to the precious gems and sweet honey. 
And then he, he says this as well. He says, your testimonies, your, your truth, it's wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Do you see that? I believe your word is true. It's good. I know you're trustworthy. Therefore, I'm going to keep it. That's how I can reject my will. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding of the simple. I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. Again, what a point of conviction. Do I long for the commands of God? Do you long for God to tell you how to live? You're like, Well, yeah, in the places I agree with Him. <laughs> but where I want to, in my finances, or in my sexuality, or in my vocation, or my social life, or my speech, or whatever you want to put over there where you're saying, no, I'm not going to obey you. You're saying, my will. I'm king. Then he goes on to say, make your face shine on your servant. Teach me your statutes. For my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Do you see? He's wanting to be so saturated by embracing God's heart that he's able to weep where others do not embrace the heart of God. So we need to not only reject our will, and the only way we can do that is when we see and can trust God's will. And to be able to trust God's will, we need to know God's will and know His Word. Are you a student of the Word of God? Are you seeking to know Him? By the fact that you're here, in some measure, you are. But man, how much more do we need to seek to know and see the beauty of God and His promises as revealed to us in the Scriptures? We need to search out God's will and see Jesus was the model for that. Jesus was saturated in the will of God. When He went around and He taught, He would say, here, from this passage in Isaiah, it's being fulfilled in me. When He was being tempted and bribed by Satan in the desert to take this shortcut, He said, no, I'm not going to believe that lie. I have the Word of God, and this is what God says. Don't put God to the test. See, he knew the Word of God so that he could believe that God's way was better, and he could see the deception and the lie, and he was willing to able, and able to trust God and go down the path of suffering rather than the easy way. That's going to be a temptation for us the rest of our lives. Take the easy way. Take the shortcut. It won't hurt anybody. It won't, it, nothing bad will happen. Yet, if we know God is king, we must trust his will and not only trust it, but carry it out. It's not enough just to say, okay, God, I know who you are. I know your word. We have to follow it. In fact, when John was talking to the disciples in John 14, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's love that promotes obedience. Having been loved by them, he says, okay, now show that you love me. Do my will. Not just know it, not just trust it, but do it. Walk in obedience. Here's the thing, friends. When we disregard God's revealed will, it is to our shame and to our hurt. It is never to our ultimate good. Never. No matter what you may be experiencing, what joy you might be feeling, or what satisfaction you're feeling, when it goes against God's design, it is ultimately to your harm. So the king has come. We need to let him have his way. 
We're, we're praying, Lord, rule us by your word and by your spirit. And again, Jesus is the example. There he is in the garden. He's asked his friends to pray with him because he's in his darkest hour. Lord, if there's any other way, would you please take this away from me? If there's any other way than me dying, please take it away. Remember, he already rejected the shortcut. But he's still here saying, Lord, I, this is hard. But your will be done, not mine. He could trust his father that even going to the point of death was part of God's goodness and plan for his life. And he was willing to die to himself. See, part of when we pray, your will be done, what we are understanding is God is establishing his kingdom through the cross. First by Christ's death on the cross, and then by us daily taking up the cross and following him. Sadly, the church throughout time has confused, just like the Jews did, about how God was going to establish his kingdom and what that would look like. So the church has used military force over the years to try to build a geographical kingdom. It's tried to use entertainment to win and entertain the kingdom of God. But Jesus says the way the kingdom of God comes is through the preaching of Christ crucified. See, as we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are recognizing and admitting that the way this happens is through a cross-filled life, through the cruciform life, a life that is shaped by suffering and sacrifice as we model Christ. And so as a church, we're not here to win people, to entertain people. We're here to show them that Christ was crucified, that the God-man lived and died and rose again, that this is a true reality that shapes everything. He is the king and our lives should be submitted to it. What evidence do you see in your life of increasing rule, Christ's increasing rule over every area? Where are you trying to keep him out of your life, to not let him meddle, to say, this is mine? The longer you do it, the more hurt it is to you. Now we're praying, Lord, help us. Help us to not talk back and to obey your rules because you're good and we can trust you. So when we pray for our Father's kingdom, we're saying, I'm going to reject my will. I'm going to learn your will. I'm going to trust your will. I'm going to obey your will. But when we pray this, we're also praying for the strength of the church and the spread of the gospel. See, Jesus was a missionary who came down to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He was coming to establish the kingdom, and as he was establishing not a geographic kingdom, but a kingdom as people's hearts were subdued by him, he began to want that to spread and to go. In fact, in John 17, as even the great missionary Jesus came down, he prayed for other missionaries that they would go and live such a life a life of the kingdom. See, when Jesus came and he preached, not only did he preach, but what did he do? He healed. He brought sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the dumb, life to the dead. That was a breaking in of the kingdom of God where all sad things become untrue. He's saying, this is what the kingdom life will look like. These things will be cast away. I'm showing you that I can do this that you can trust me. This is the kingdom you want. This is the life you want. 
And so as we pray for that, he's saying, I'm going to establish my kingdom. Now the, the relationship between the church and the kingdom is both complex and debated, but it is through the church that the kingdom extends. We, the church, witness to the reality of the kingdom. Just as Jesus brought sight to the blind, as we love one another, as we submit ourselves in our vocation as students, as workers, as friends, as brothers, sisters, spouses, as we live out that kingdom, the watching world says, that's what life is meant to be? Man, that is beautiful. How do I get that type of life? And you say, this is found in Christ the King. He's changing me. He's changing how we live as a body. There is real love and sacrifice and encouragement in the family of God, not perfection. I mean, this is where the kingdom is breaking in and it's a witness to the world. And so we're praying a missionary prayer. So part of what that might challenge, and here's another point of conviction, do your finances show that you actually are valuing the extension of the gospel to the very ends of the earth? Where does giving to missionaries rank in your financial stewardship? One of our goals as a church is every year to continue to, to slowly but steadily increase our church's budgets giving to local and world missions. If we recognize that we are part of the family of God that encircles the entire globe and goes back into eternity past and to forward into eternity future, this is the family that we are engaged in. Don't we want to see others come to know the joy of being sons and daughters of God the Father. So where does that capture our heart in a practical manner? So how do we, why do we even trust this? Why, why would we do this? Well, it goes back to the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer. How does He start it? Our Father. This isn't some unknown king. This isn't some tyrant or dictator. Someone who is foolish and capricious and is more concerned about themselves. This is the one whom we can call Father. Who loves us. Who wants our best. Who is wise and all-powerful. He is the King in Heaven who all resources are at His hand. And if he loves us and we love our Father. Wouldn't we want His kingdom to extend? We get this naturally. I've seen some of you live this out. You dress your little toddlers in your alma mater's clothes. I got a picture uh, from my daughter and it was of my grandson and my son-in-law and his dad. And they're wearing Yankees hats. It was so disturbing. But they're trying to, to pass on that which is a blessing to them, something that means something to them. I know that's silly, but if God is our Father and we have the joy of salvation and forgiveness in Him, don't we want to pass this on to all who are around us so that they can experience the joy and the delight of our King, our Father? That is how we want and learn to bend the knee because God is good and he's our father and he's gracious and he is with us how do we trust God's will in the midst of that why do we seek his kingdom over ours 
How do we learn to live with him as king? Pastor John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, every year around his birthday, he would write a prayer for the whatever was going on. And one particular year, his wife was very ill and near death. And this was all he could write. What you will, when you will, how you will. The only way someone could write that in the midst of seeing their beloved sick and near their death is by knowing that God is a good God who can be trusted. And some of the darkest valleys that I've been through in my life as I have wept the promise of who God is has been the balm to my soul to be able to say, not my will, but your will be done. It's not strength in me. It's not my willpower. It's not that I'm a pastor. It's that my God is my Father who is good and He can be trusted. We're not only a people who can live for the King, but we're a people who hope in the King. What I mean by that is this. We know the king is going to return. And like we said, all sad things will become untrue. And what that means is we can pray with confidence, even though in this moment the circumstance might not change. And to be quite honest, it might not turn out the way we want on this side of eternity, but God will be making all things new. He will accomplish his, his, accomplish his perfect purposes which means we can be eternal optimists. We can have a remedy to help fight our anxiety and fear of the future and the unknown to say, but God knows and he can be trusted with my future better than I can control it. God knows and he can be trusted with the future of my children and grandchildren better than I can try to helicopter and and bulldoze my way through their lives to make what I think their reality should be. I can trust God even not only as I live, but as I die. Not much is known about Jane Ewings, a woman who was buried in Surrey, England. But this is what's written on her gravestone. God made me and not myself. He created me for His pleasure. And at His pleasure, He disposed of me. He alone knows through what scenes I must pass. And He will conduct me through them so as to answer the end of His providence. I resign myself in full confidence on His sovereign being who is just and merciful to all His creatures and say, not my will, but Thine will be done. How can you say that? Because you know the character of God. You have seen Him as revealed through Christ on the cross who died and rose again and sits in victory in heaven reigning as the King. Because This is our Father's kingdom because He has loved us. Out of our love and response to Him, we should want to see His kingdom extend to the very ends of the earth. Friends, this is our hope and our confidence. This is what enables us to live not for our pleasure or our peace or our security, but for the glory of God. This is what enables us to suffer, to sacrifice, to delight, and to walk with one another through hardship and joy. This is why 
we will turn our back on that which is safe and comfortable to live for the King. May God make it more so that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that we know we are saying, do it through a cross-shaped life, through my sacrifice and service because I love you and because you, more importantly, have loved me. That is why we pray for our Father's kingdom. Father, apart from your grace and your goodness, I just want life about my will. I want my kingdom. I want it to be good for other people too. But Lord, align my heart with your heart. Align our hearts as a church with you to embrace your desires that we would be quick to lay down our lives for others. And so whether we live or die, that we would say your will, not my will. Thank you that you have loved us. Thank you that you are our Father who sent our brother Jesus so that by faith in him we become your sons and daughters sharing in the rich inheritance of all that is Christ's. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.